Church, all is here for us in the Word of God. All we have to do is keep with the program. Open up the Word, and by the Spirit's blessing, believe and obey. Our text then will be Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46. Reading from the English Standard Version. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Thus far, reading God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you. And by God's help, it will be preached. Please be seated. We have here a very important, most important, I think, uh, if you were to count frequencies of uh, recitation and allusion in the New Testament to the Old Testament, what we have here is the most often alluded to passage in the New Testament from the Old. It, uh, without this passage, it, it is really impossible to understand uh, either the person of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, or his saving work on our behalf. In other words, uh, of course, uh, we all have knowledge of our Savior to one degree or another. Uh, but uh, I believe that this is the least that we must know about the Lord Jesus, without which we really hold him uh, almost in a superstitious faith. But now to put it positively, if you hold this article of teaching that the Lord Jesus is insisting on here and all the Holy Spirit throughout all of the New Testament insists on, then you have a, a good foundation, a good foundation and solid, uh, a solid reason to, uh, to understand that your faith is not presumptive, that you really do uh, enjoy and glorify Christ as not only a king, but your king, and not only a high priest, but your high priest. And so, my friends, just as the Old uh, Testament uh, is explained in the New, and the, uh, the New Testament is, is hidden uh, and uh, suggested in so many ways and promises and, and in sacrifices and ordinances and prophecies, and in types, still, uh, we who really relish the covenant of grace in one book, one covenant of grace in one book, relish, relish the one word principle where Christ is Savior and uh, effective by faith to the Old Testament saints, effective to us in the New Testament again. Christ, the only mediator of the covenant of grace. All right, the teaching here for us is, that, is as follows. Christ was clearly foretold, clearly foretold in the scriptures of old as the coming king of Israel. 
This was, uh, this was held forth in shining clarity. And this king would be both divine and human. It's clear there as well. It's perspicuous, but I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a second. Christ in the scriptures was foretold of old in this, uh, as coming, as the coming king of Israel, who would be both divine and human. And this truth must be believed. And this truth is, cannot be refuted. It, it, it is impossible to refute. We'll see this in three points. No, in one, yeah, in three points. First, let's, let's examine here that the scriptures uh, foretold not just a reign, uh, but a triumphant reign. You see the last verse that we sang in the Psalm 110. He will, he will lift up his head. He will drink from the brook and lift up his head. This is a, this is a, a pause of utter refreshment where one can uh, place your armor down and drink and lift up the head and be exalted because uh, he has vanquished. And that's what the king does. And that's what Jesus has done. He has vanquished all his and our enemies forever. The scripture foretold then the triumphant reign of a king who was both divine and human. Now, Messiah, that's the Jewish or the Hebrew word for anointed one, Christ. This is the Greek. Uh, Messiah was to be a king of the line of David. He was to be the son of David. And that's clear by the way of the covenant that David um, had with the Lord, Lord promising. So Christ, of course, being the son of, of David, a human king, is, is fully human. And this doctrine is, is absolutely fundamental uh, because if he were not human, he could by no means exalt our nature and bring it to uh, a point where the Lord would accept us in our, uh, in our, uh, in our bodies um, and, uh, and, and as such, his being a substitution on the cross as the Lamb of God would really not apply because he's not substituting like for like. He has to, a human must pay the, the human debt of sin as the federal head of the covenant of grace. And that is exactly what he's, what he's done as a human. Now, this doctrine is then fundamental to both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Christ in the flesh, a human. Christ is the great fulfillment then of the Davidic covenant that was very, very much expected. And that's why all Israel was so excited when John the Baptist was clearing the way, preparing the way. And uh, they, they held forth a great, great expectancy, as they should, that the king and the kingdom was at hand. And by the way, that is a major, uh, major theme, or perhaps even the major theme of Matthew. The king is presented in his kingdom. So this question... Uh, Matthew, of course, uh, brings it forth here rather late, but it's not the first mention of, G of Jesus' uh, kingship. Every pious Jew, every single one, not, not the Pharisees, not the, the brilliantly instructed, every single Jew understood this, he believed this, and even Jesus' enemies here, uh, they are, in this last week of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, they are on him, they want to corner him, they want to embarrass him, they want to uh, be able to marginalize him as a radical, not understanding scripture, having no authority to correct the leaders and having certainly no authority to purge the temple or to ride in, receiving the praises of infants, hallelujah, save now. They were angry, they were threatened, and they were vengeful. 
Messiah then was to be king of the line of, uh, of David, the son of David. He was human. But Messiah Christ was David's Lord. As we read here from the, the recitation from Psalm 110. Uh, it doesn't take too much logic. This is a syllogism. Major premise, minor present, uh, uh, premise, conclusion. It's just logical. That, that this can only be true, that Christ himself uh, can only be true if, if Christ, uh, David's progeny, his David's son of his lineage, existed before David. That's, that's what's going on here. And this psalm not only admits it, but requires it. The Lord said to Jehovah, uh, the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, Adonai, sit here at my right hand until I make all your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Now Christ, I pat a head here in my notes, had a pre-existence. <laughs> he never shed it. Uh, he, is, he is the eternal God. And so I have kind of corrected my notes here. Christ has pre-existence. But we need to think in terms of what pre-existence means. Um, he had no beginning. He is God in of, and of himself as God. Now, as the eternal begotten Son of God, he was begotten eternally of the Father, but of him, if it is in his essence, he has essence and beginning of himself. He is God. Christ is divine. He is God. Otherwise, we could not worship any other uh, name, any other being, except the one that has self-existence, that cannot, that cannot be denied the Lord Jesus. This was not accepted by the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. This is the major, major stumbling block. This doctrine, well, it, it's so threatening to them. If God's in their midst, then what's going to happen of their little, their little fiefdoms, their little religious sects? They've already been proved wrong and shamed in their theology. Where is this going? This was not accepted by the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. They were not looking for a divine Messiah. They were not looking for a divine Messiah. And this is the scandal of Jesus' triumphal entry with the, with the, with the infants, with the infants worshiping rightly. Orthodox infants, guys. Hence the scandal of Jesus cleansing the temple. Who is this guy? What does he think he's doing here? We got a good thing going. And he's about to ruin it. Hence, they're bickering, disputing over Jesus' authority and his credentials. Now, if you can't refute somebody, all you have to do, if you're cheap, is assault his character. It's a, it's a, it's a very inexpensive thing. Let your tongue do all the damage of, of violence. Bring no evidence. Bring no process. I mean, that's what they had at court before Pilate. Do, does anyone condemn a man without first giving him a trial? Yeah, if they're prejudiced, if they're mad as hell, they will, and they do. Messiah Christ would reign, says Psalm 110, over all his enemies forever. The Lord Jehovah has decreed it. And when God decrees something, it's as, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. No one can refute his will. No one can stay his hand and say, what are you doing? Psalm 33, verses I think, 10 and 11. Um, Jehovah, the Lord, it's in Psalm 10, that you'll see the, the tetragram, the Lord, uh, capitalized L-O-R-D. Jehovah has set Christ at his right hand. That is to say, he is the administrator of all things. You can see that again 
uh, in Revelation 5, all heaven, all of heaven acknowledges the Lamb of God. Uh, they're enthroned, and He is the one who is worthy. Well, you know, we're studying this book of Revelation in the, in the, in the Bible studies, midweek Bible studies. It's clear. It's clear that He is the exalted Son of God. And so He's God's deputy administrator over all things. And that's the height of Christ's exaltation. The prophecy from Psalm 110 has been fulfilled in Christ. But these men had not considered the exaltation. They thought, well, yeah, he's going to rule. He's going to rule uh, from, from Zion, and he will rule in Israel, and will have a, a glorious kingdom. But as most things go in theology, these men had really low expectations. They had not any idea of the fullness to the extent where Christ would be exalted. Just like in our prayers, we, we don't really understand that God will answer these more than all we can ever think or imagine according to His grace in Christ. They, were, they, were, they shorted themselves on their kingdom while at the same time hoping desperately that they would have the kingdom. And that's what happens whenever we don't understand the Word of God. We short, not God, ourselves. Christ would be highly exalted. Messiah then has God's full anointing. And that's His name, Christ, the Anointed One. He's the standard of all anointing. And with anointing and blessing comes what? Success. I, the Lord has sworn and He has anointed Christ as the standard of anointment, of anointing. And so this one, of course, cannot fail. He can't err in the Scriptures. All of the prophets of old were symbolically anointed, just like this morning we had uh, Elvin Leah. You know, that, that, as it as, as a, is as a, as a kind of, an, of an anointing, a pattern of anointing. The prophets never erred in the Word of God. Oh, yeah, they were resisted. Oh, yeah, they were not understand. Oh, yeah, they were despised. They were contradicted. They were, they were persecuted. They were killed. But they were undaunted. And they surely did not fail in the word in, in the manner for which they were sent. They surely did not fail. Not one. One, not one word of the old prophets has failed, fallen or, or been ever defeated. But that does not mean that God's enemies will not try. They will not try to rid themselves of his Messiah. Look at Psalm 2. Why, why are the nations in an uproar? Kingdoms devising a vain thing. They, they, they have set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. And they say, let us tear their feathers apart. Let's break their cords from us. They don't want to be bound to this one that God has exalted. And the irony, my friends, I mean, look, we're not cruel people. We don't laugh. We don't laugh at this irony. But the Lord does. Because in that same psalm, see, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Puny dust against the God of the cosmos. Who can defy the will of God? Who can defy the will of God? The enemies will try to unseat Christ. The enemies will try to derail him. They will try to disprove his word. They will try to discredit his ministry. They will slander his character without process. At night, 
in a kangaroo, kangaroo court before Australia was even recognized or, or even discovered. Here we have also not only his kingly office, but that he's a priestly king, the order of Melchizedek. I, I, I won't park on this because the scripture and the Holy Spirit did not make a big, a big mention of this. But let me just say that when this one appears, when Christ appears, the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, especially the Herodians who had the political agenda, should realize that a vast revolution was about to be unleashed. This is, the this is a radical change to the administration, or the outward administration of the covenant of grace. Because with the changing of the priesthood uh, comes basically uh, a, 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 dis a, a disorganizing or a leveling or disestablishing the covenant of, of, uh, of, of, of Sinai. And many of its external forms will change in the church going forward. Now, the essence, which is grace, the essence, which is the mediator, the essence, which is the promises and the sacraments, they will not change. The moral law, unchanging. But much of its administration will change because the change in priesthood. This can only be affected, my friends, in the change in the covenant. And the only change can become, uh, come by a covenant is by blood. A, a covenant is sealed in blood. And if you were to change a covenant, God must do so, uh, agreeable to his own will, but it'll always involve blood. And that's the first hint to hear already that Jesus, as priest, is going to be offering himself. Himself. And his enemies will comply in fulfilling that decree. There's a lot going on here as we wrap up Matthew. A lot, a lot, a lot. The doctrine of Christ is a divine mystery, my friends. The Old Testament, it, it was there. It was subtle in, in some ways, in some ways not so subtle. It should have been believed. It was hardly understood. But the Holy Spirit, now given in its fullness, should have us to see this, and not only to see this, but to understand it to some good degree and to relish it. Because this one, this one succeeds where Adam failed. This one succeeds where you and I fail. This one is righteous, acceptable to God. This is the king. But the Holy Spirit alone can convince of these truths. And so as you are reading the scriptures, you say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with the idea of teaching a class on Bible study. The first, the first principle of, of Bible study is prayer. Ask yourself, ask the Lord to send his light. You will certainly never understand the teaching of Scripture salvifically to us in the saving matter. That is to say, not from the hand of Christ your teacher. You will never receive it that way unless the Spirit teach you. But the Spirit has shed his light on this verse. Christ the consummate prophet and teacher wants us to understand it, and it's all here for us. And we must understand then that the scripture did foretell. All the Old Testament foretold the triumphant reign of a king who is both divine and human. That's the first point of the sermon. Second point, scripture must be understood correctly it, if it is to be believed. 
You want to believe the scripture, a degree of understanding needs to be there. Otherwise, you're not going to, your soul will hate to believe a flat contradiction or something that's, that's disorderly or not just or not equitable. Uh, your soul, if you're a Christian, will detest learning something that does not glorify God in its purity of truth. That's just the way that God had made us. That is a presuppositional statement. No, no proving it. It's just there. That's what your soul does if you are a Christian. The Christian then the, the Scripture must be understood correctly. As the Spirit wrote it, as the Spirit would, under, would understand it, and no mere man. And that's why in all of our striving, we first ask God to be our teacher. We shall call no man father, no man rabbi, no man teacher, because by comparison, we only have one that can teach us. And we must insist on this and really add, beg, beg the Lord for, for the infilling and the light of the graces of the Holy Spirit. But here, especially when we come to Psalm 110. Again, this is this is a passage alluded to by, by the books that I go by here. They count 90 times, 90 times in the New Testament. Psalm 110, Messiah, as king and priest. That's the important thing that we need to learn today. Psalm 110 was well known. It was well known. It was, it was even memorized by, by most of the Jewish leaders. The Sadducees, you know, we learned, yeah, they, they stuck to the first five books, the Pentateuch, but, you know, uh, the, the rest, many had no excuse. Psalm 110 was sung by Jewish worshipers in the synagogue uh, perennially, frequently. Yet Psalm 110 was not understood rightly in Jesus' day. And let me just say by way of marginal uh, point of application here, uh, you know, I love the Psalms. Uh, I sing them, I think, by God's grace, uh, I sing them daily. Uh, but uh, singing the Psalm does you no good unless you understand the psalm. You realize this, right? If you're worshiping God with things you don't understand, you're worshiping Him in vain. So by all means, be diligent in singing psalms. You better teach your children what they mean, and you better understand what they mean. Otherwise, it's, it's a human contrivance. You're in the flesh. Psalm 110 was not understood rightly. And if it's not understood rightly, it's not understood at all. Else the Pharisees would surely have given Jesus the proper answer. They're in, they're in public. They don't want to be shamed anymore. No. They want, to, they want to show that they've got learning, and yet they were silent. No reply possible. The Pharisees could not conceive of Messiah Christ being both divine and human. Even Jesus' disciples did not fully understand the prophecy of 110. And, and we see later Jesus in the road to Emmaus with two not, not, not his closest band of friends, but two other disciples, Luke 24, 25. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones. And this is, <laughs> this is our friend, the Lord Jesus. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And believe you me, when you study all that the prophets have said about Jesus, you have studied all that the prophets have said. And Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the key. But even the disciples failed there on the road to Emmaus. Foolish. 
The Pharisees, the Sadducees, Herodians, lawyers, they, these disputes with Jesus were on point. They were on point. Uh, those of you here who enjoy apologetics and, and witnessing and perhaps you know, engaging people, remember this. This is, this is a good attack point by their enemies. They were, they were wanting to know Jesus' knowledge. They were auditing Jesus. Watch, anybody who claims to be a religious leader ought to know this. And it might be a very good place to start when you see a, a pretender, a pretended uh, religious leader. How much does he know of this? Ask him questions. Ask him about Psalm 110. Ask him what's going on in heaven with, with Jesus at the right hand. Well, how, how is it that the Lamb is being worshipped? That was a good conversation I had with some Jehovah's Witnesses in a jail in Lexington, Kentucky. A week before I had left a, a number of Gideon Bibles in there, and there was a Jehovah's Witness in there, and he was unraveling everything that I have wanted to ravel. So I, I just drew attention to that chapter. Anybody have any ideas? You think heaven can be confused in the worship of this one that's at the right hand of God? No. And that answer, and that, that kind of apologetic is beyond refuting. So the Pharisees and the Sad, uh, these, these enemies, they were testing Jesus' knowledge, a good place to start in your apologetic. It's better than asking for a sign. The word, of, the word is, the sign is to reinforce the word, but once the, the word has been established and confirmed, the word sits of, of itself. It has legs, it can stand. Ask these people what they know of the Bible. And then they're testing Jesus' authority, which is a matter of process because, well, they should have attended, I guess, Jesus' baptism. Yeah, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, the voice from heaven, the spirit fluttering over his head as a, as a dove. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the full anointing. He had all the credentials. He had all that he needed. But at least these enemies were asking the right questions. We might learn something of the process here. Jesus' wisdom in answering their questions was marvelous. My main sermon points the wisdom of Christ, the way he handled these things, the way not only did he know it, my friends, but the way he applied the teaching of Scripture in circumstances to the occasion even to the person. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful teaching. Jesus' wisdom then in questioning his enemies here <laughs> regarding not just a problem, tangential, the very heart, the very root. He goes right to the root, the tap root. Their tap root was that they had no true faith in that Christ, that Messiah that was presented in Scripture. And if you don't have it, there's no anticipation. Uh, there is no acknowledging this divine and human man when he appears. No. Unless the Holy Spirit breaks through. I love the word Hebrew, the Hebrew word for breakthrough, peres, peres. Breaks through. Only the Holy Spirit can break through such stubborn blockheads as we are in the flesh. And that's, by the way, if you think I'm picking on Pharisees and Sadducees, I just exalted their methodology, which sometimes we don't even do as Christian apologists. 
But if you've never, if you've never confessed yourself to be in that school, in that stripe, if you don't, have never seen the bent to dispute with Jesus or even to say yes, yes, and then in practice go no, no, the hypocrisy. If you've never, if you've never confessed hypocrisy, then you need to complete, you need to keep reading. You need to keep reading because this lesson is not for the Jews. And the lesson here is not only for religious leaders, it's for us. Hypocrisy. There's no true faith, though, in Jesus without anticipating both his divinity and humanity, except, of course, with the Holy Spirit breaking through, breaking through. No true faith without a practical application of Psalm 110, understanding it from Messiah and Messiah's benefits to you. It's not, a, it's not good enough to know that God is a God. You must know God is your God and your Redeemer. And that's saving faith. That's not a, there's no presumption in that. <laughs> Regarding Jesus' kingship, that's the whole application of the doctrine of Messiah in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the major, that's the major theme. That's the key. That's the major chord of Matthew, Jesus' kingdom and his priestliness. Regarding Jesus' priestly order, the cross, the shadow of the cross has already been suggested. It's coming. The cross will never be understood unless we understand the radical nature and fulfillment of the symbolism and of the types that were there in the Old Testament uh, under sacrifice. Levit Levitical, the, the, uh, the order of Melchizedek is in its fulfillment. And so, my friends, we need to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. You need to know, you need to understand this key one Christ that is presented to us. I mean, not, not in all the fullness of his mind, but certainly of his person and uh, his outfitting, his kidding in three offices, his kingship, his uh, priestliness, and his prophetic office. These need to be solid, solid, solid as fulfilled. Study the scriptures. You need to be, you need to be consistent. We are not ones that open the scripture and wherever the wind is blowing, if it's from the south, it blows this way, oh, oh. And if it blows from the north, oh, we read over there. You need, you need some kind of, of discipline. And for that, you can talk to one of your elders. They'll give you some ideas. There are many, many uh, scripture reading plans. But I'm, I'm saying something a little bit further than that. We're, we're talking about the study of scripture. Don't you know that these Pharisees they read scripture, and many studied scripture. You can't let this, this band of outlaws outshine you, at least in the disciplines of the, of the Christian life. No, the Lord will always direct his people to the, the knowledge of God and insisting, because God himself is, is a jealous God, he will insist, he will, make, he will make occasion for you, for the word of God to dwell in you richly. And you can only not do so by grieving him and by turning aside from the, from the spirit Again, to your own, to your own sadness, to, 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 your, to your own misery and weakness. Foolish. We're foolish if we don't uh, appropriate to us by the Spirit's application and illumination in our lives all the Scripture has regarding Christ, the cardinal teaching of the whole Bible. The last point here is that Scripture condemns all who oppose the kingdom of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Everyone that stands in the way of this kingdom going forward will be reduced to powder. The Pharisees could not refute Jesus' questions. 
We see it here. They remain silent. From that day, no one dared ask him any other question. Wow. You talk about a, a, a public forum, a blog that just got pulled. No more TikTok here. It's gone. Jesus' enemies in their wisdom and disputation could never stump, could never foil Jesus. And yet these enemies would not give him the glory. They would not give him the glory of believing, of following him. They were too proud. They needed to be the teacher of the people. We are the people. You are the followers. We have knowledge. But no, they, they desisted from asking any more questions of Jesus. Bad. Wow. You ever turn away from a source of good knowledge and good wisdom? Or even if you ignore it, my friends. If you have a wise and godly man, you need to seek his friendship if, if you can. I, I, I mean, that's, every Christian has a nose for Christ. And if Christ is shining brightly in any creature, the Christian will seek him out. And it, 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 it is an insatiable appetite and an insatiable thirst to gain more knowledge of your beloved, of the beloved Jesus. Does this describe you at all? Are you sentient in that? Do you have any sense? Do you feel this? Is this an impulse in you? Or are you so asleep? Or are you so dull? You need to ask the Lord to wake you up because we're coming to chapter 25 and five of those virgins were asleep. We need to wake up the church. It's time, it's time for the church to wake up. Instead, their motive was to entrap Jesus, to discredit Jesus, to put a stumbling block in anybody that would follow the Lord Jesus. Again, again, if you hear a good, solid, pleasing argument from Scripture that, 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 that is, is congruent, that is to say is compatible with, with both Old Testaments and, and seems to have the goodness of it, you do very badly to not listen to that theology or that doctrine or that teaching and turn from it and stiffen your neck and take God's words and throw it Oh, it's after all, it's, I don't need this for salvation. This is not, I, I know I'm saved. Uh, this, is a, this is a question for, uh, for the academy. This is a question for the seminaries. If it's there, Jesus says, teaching them all things that I have commanded. And lo, I'm with you always as your help. They would not yield to the truth of Scripture. We need to sense that. We need to sense heavily when we have turned because the truth was not convenient, because the truth was not politically to our advantage. That if we said this truth, there would, might be a, 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 an upset in the church, a, a disunity. Oh, we'll do anything to keep, union, keep united, including swallowing a camel. God will make everyone that will resist his Christ, a footstool. That, that is an image in today's world. Is, it, it should trouble us. It's not socially acceptable to absolutely dominate an enemy, to, to, to regard him as so far beneath him as you have absolute authority and dominion over him. And that's our Lord. That's, that's, that is the Lord that we serve. 
the son of David, Christ. And that promise is sure. My, my friends, ministers are your servants. They're given by God as helps in understanding all that Christ is, all that he has done. And no leader should be trusted if he's stumped in the basics of the faith. We've got a lot of men, I wonder, you know, I, and I'm, I read their texts. I know what they're learning in seminary. It's perfectly adequate. All the you know, we have our favorite seminaries, but man, a lot, there's a lot of learning and a lot of might in the seminaries. There's, there's a whole lot of good doctrine. But ministers are afraid to out with it before their people. They will simply not teach what their textbooks have taught them. Because the people just won't receive it. They're afraid for their, they're afraid for their ministries. They're afraid for their, for their callings. But no leader should be trusted if he's stumped and no disciple has any right to easily dismiss the counsel of an appointed authority in the church. Now, he may not be right, but you don't easily dismiss it. You do not walk away rolling your eyes as if you've just met a madman. Let me bring this to conclusion. Christ was clearly foretold as the coming king of Israel who would be both divine and human. This truth must be believed. This truth is irrefragable. That means it cannot be taken apart. It cannot be refuted. There are some serious questions here that we need to ask ourselves. What do you think of the Christ? That's, that's, the, that's the question. Or do you think anything of Christ? You know, you who are in love with your, with your fiancé or your young bride, if someone asks you, tell me something about Tell me something about your wife. Oh, wow. Let me tell you what I've learned about my wife. And now that I'm living with her, I see this. This She's like this. And this is what she does. And she's so helpful. And by the way, she's kind. It's an easy, easy talk. But when you speak with one another and you, and you, and you present this question, what do you think of the Christ? What is in your heart? What comes to your mind? Is there anything of scriptural substance and backing to it? Or are you just gushing with you? Know, I love him with all my heart. When I say he's a savior, I like to keep things simple. You can't afford to reduce where the scriptures has not reduced. There is a reduction lower than which is no salvation. You must give an intelligent biblical answer for the hope that is in you. What, can you, what will you say to others if you're asked? We have an evangelism, an evangelism conference starting next Friday. The first one is an easy, easy session about lifestyle evangelism. The goodness of Christ in you shines. I hope you will consider attending. One member here said, you know why I'm going to attend this conference? It's because I don't want to attend. It's a cross. And I'd rather do something easy. But this is something that you might consider to be essential because if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to give a good intelligent answer, this is, this is a good workshop for you, very practical. You need to know his person. You need to know his offices. You need to know something about his ministry. Those of you with good memories might just outline and get to know the major points of the Gospel of Matthew. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful presentation of the, the work of, of Christ and his reforming 
the church, uh, reforming the teachings, as had been corrupted in old. Uh, you need to understand his priestly work on the cross. What has changed about the order of, of the Levites? Why was that such a radical presentation? Why did the temple come down? Why was it necessary that it come down? What is your experience with Christ? What have you tasted of him? What have you received of his gracious gifts and graces? Do you know his protection as your king? Do you know the, the cleansing power of his blood over the guilty conscience? Do you know the transforming power of his life in purging you from, uh, from the corruption of sin as well? And uh, your liberty in to rejoice when your sin debt is paid. All these things are yours in Christ. And if you know Christ, you know all these things. Are you trusting him chiefly to be your only righteousness, the only thing that you will open your mouth and say on the last day? What makes you think that you can enter this holy and eternal habitat, my heavens, and you must, from the heart, and God reads hearts, you say, Christ's righteousness. The bar is righteousness, not faith. Many people think they have faith. The bar is righteousness because faith avails to receive the righteousness. And if righteousness appears before God, God will set righteousness at his right hand. And he, you, he will set you in an exalted position with Christ in the heavenly places, sitting you down with him because you have righteousness, Christ's own perfect righteousness that is conceded to you or imputed to you, credited to you by faith. Seeing righteousness, the Lord will embrace you because it's his own righteousness. Know that for sure. Trust Christ for his righteousness, his wisdom, and all of his redemption. Is he then all things to you? That's the question. If you can say honestly, who is Christ? And you say, well, Christ to me is my wisdom, my, my sanctification, my righteousness, and, and all my salvation. Then you will understand what Paul was getting at in striving with the Corinthian believers concerning their, their divisions, their petty arguments, their sinfulness, their selfishness. Christ will guide you in all these things. Are you more and more than conforming to Christ's character? Are you? More and more. Uh, some of you are young believers. You'll need some time to answer this. Is Christ in you? Again, ask the Lord to reveal that. There can be no more pleasant surprise to parents when their child displays Christ in them. The hope of righteousness. And finally, has he subdued you? That's what kings do. They set their enemies as a footstool for their feet, and you in the flesh were his enemy. And if he has subdued you this way, you are glad to be subduing that flesh as well in the spirit by faith, putting to death the deeds of the, deeds of the body. You can only do that, my friends, by faith. Faith is a, is a hand hold, an empty hand holding out to receive all what God has for us in the mediator Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you will be saved. That is my gospel, and that is the gospel, the only gospel.
Let's pray. Lord, we bless you for being the prophet, master teacher, wonderful counselor, everlasting God, the prince of peace. Of your reign there shall be no end. We give you the glory. We bow before you this day. We pray, Lord, that the good news would travel far and wide and that we would be a people rejoicing. For you, Lord, have done it. Loving kindness and truth have kissed. And we, Lord, kiss the Son and bow. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will the deacons please come forward with the offering?